0: Hello and welcome to Anime News and Reviews Podcast. This is your host, Speedy, and with me today, as always, are my two co-hosts, Colden and Blake.
1: Hello. How do you do?
0: It's been a couple weeks, but we're back, and we are doing an anime review episode. The movies of Neon Genesis Evangelion, 1.0, 0, 2.0, 0, and 3.0... And then the fourth one that came out this year, 3.0 plus 1.0. So we will hopefully finish that all in one episode. If not, we'll make it a two parter. Um, as always, uh, you can find us on most platforms. You can listen to a podcast RSS Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We are also on Verbal, V U R B L, Verbal. Uh, you could just search up. Anime news reviews podcast and find us that way. Uh, so that's, that's a weird. I thought that was neat. What'd you say? V R B L. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, find us, follow us on on the app, uh, Apple Podcast. Give us a like and a review. That would be wonderful. Before we start, I did want to mention one thing, and that is Demon Slayer. It's a little unrelated, but I needed to mention it, because Demon Slayer announced their Season 2 schedule. On October 10th, they will be starting their 7-episode mini-arc of the Mugen Train, so if you didn't or don't really care to watch the movie... Uh, you can watch these seven episodes and you'll be caught up. It's pretty much the same thing. It's obviously longer, so there'll be more stuff packed into it. Maybe scenes will be a little different, who knows? But in December oh, I think it's December fifth. They'll be continuing with the next arc, the entertainment district arc. So far what yeah, huh,
1: I think Interesting
0: I heard that the first episode is going to be an hour long, I think.
1: But we'll, well see I read-
0: I could be wrong, but we'll see.
1: Well, now I'm kind of curious to see if their version of the Mugen Train art in episodic format, if that ends up actually giving us some extra goodies that we didn't get with the uh, film version.
0: Um, Maybe. I mean, it's not, I'm hoping. twice as long, essentially. I'm watching that scene in dub and it's going to hit so hard again dude, I'm going to cry. Yeah, who's ready for that ending again? Oh dear god please
1: don't Austin put me falls. through that a second <laughs> Jesus but <laughs> now, now I won't be Goku
0: in but... the dumbass. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's exciting. October 10th for the uh, Mugen Arc 7 episode mini uh, That's being, and I then December 5th for the blaze. Entertainment District December fish is so far. Why do I hate it? It's us? pretty much right after the Mugen Train arc, though, when you count it. So they'll do the it's seven like episodes, and then right after that is the Entertainment District. So it's like they're bitch slapping me
1: twice. <laughs> Literally, Right handed God damn.
0: I don't know the total amount of episodes for season two. I just know that the Mugen arc.
1: It be like eighty, dude. What? It better be like eighty or something. Well, Season uh, 1 was I 24, wish. so... Yeah, so they'll probably likely probably be around, not. yeah, 24, maybe 26. But I don't know if
0: the seven-episode Mugen Train is going to count into that, or it's going to be its own thing. So I'm
1: going to the- go ahead and uh, play it safe and just assume that's probably the most predictable and spot-on accurate answer. Yeah, I've got a hunch that's probably going to be the first couple episodes of Season 2. I don't know.
0: We'll find out. Because if so, then Entertainment District is going to be. Nuts. Like, 18 episodes? 17? Oh, I oh. how many episodes they want in total. Glory. Anyway, we'll see. It's a really good arc. I liked it in the manga, so.
1: I hope so. I it hope it's good.
0: Like, it's about the, uh. Sound Hashido.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah, that guy.
0: Yep. Alright, so, uh. Back on track with this review episode: Neon Genesis Evangelion. Those four movies. Um, it was Blake's suggestion, so Blake is going to guide us through it. So, all right, let's start.
1: Yeah. So the first one, I'm Evangelion 1.0. I believe it's a. Uh, you cannot. Uh, you are not alone. Four so. Lines, parentheses. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. And which kind of is the continuous theme throughout all these except for the 3.0 plus 1.0 which that one's just referred to as a thr- thrice upon a time and that one was so long it's basically like two movies stuffed into one yeah but yeah no so the first one um and actually the setting i believe the year it takes place is in a uh, 2015 but then like a different a more fictionalized uh 2015 uh in what is referred to as uh the city of Tokyo three. And so we kinda are immediately shown, you know, just kind of this uh dilapidated kinda looks like an abandoned city, essentially. Uh, and then we just kinda see Shinji, he's kinda been given this call to visit his father, essentially, almost out of the blue, and so he ends up going all the way to Tokyo Three to uh essentially receive this information and then try and find, um, Masato, who he's supposed to rendezvous with. And, uh, all the while he's waiting for her to show up, and so she is a captain within this special, um, organization referred to as Nerve. I just, um, I do want
0: to point out that if you've seen, like, the original series of or the, read the Baga, like, if you've seen the 90s movie, this yeah. is like a remake. It's basically it belongs, yeah, a shot remake for of shot
1: remake of the first six episodes. I think yeah. there
0: are some. It's
1: like a couple maybe minor but... slight differences, but for the most part, it stays pretty close to the exact same I source think they material.
0: they remade it to fit into
1: this series of movies. Yeah, so, and then they also, uh, I believe, they ended up so this time instead of using traditional animation for the angels, they swapped it out for the 3D CGI, which. That I was fine with because it was like, okay, this feels like the right blend of just your normal 2D animation as well as the 3D, which I thought they did pretty well.
0: The CGI can be a hit or miss depending on what you do with it and stuff.
1: It really is. It really is. But yeah, no, so I think the only difference also was, I believe it was the Order of the Angels. So the one that we first encounter in Tokyo 3 as Shinji's doing this whole, you know, waiting for Miss Misato Katsuragi to show up um, and take him to go see his father, Gendo Akari. So Shinji Akari, he's over here waiting, and then all of a sudden you see these kind of airships slowly start to kind of back away. And I believe some of these airships and, like, I think later on they actually showed there was, like, a couple of uh, either tanks or, like, vehicles with mounted guns on them. It's, so like, full-blown technicals. Yeah. And uh, I believe some of those vehicles and weapons were actually from the uh, JSSDF. So it's, like, the Japanese Strategic Self-Defense Force. And they kind of, at that point, were still working in tandem with NERV. And so they're, uh, you know, basically firing all these weapons that they can. At this point, basically the entire city has been evacuated because of this angel that's now roaming the city. And I believe in the original series, this was actually the third angel, but in this instance, it's actually referred to as the fourth angel uh, because I guess the third angel is actually over away, being researched on and studied in another base. Uh, Bethany base which is basically the opening of the second film in this series and basically little one to I mentioned here to point out so the first three films are kind of meant to be a sort of light retelling of events yeah. with some differences here and there uh, from the original series while the fourth one 3.0 plus 1.0 three spot time that one is actually meant to be a 100% original ending and retelling of the ending essentially, a completely unique ending to this series. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, and in my opinion, it was actually a much better, well done ending, I have to say. Um, That's fair. Yeah, so Shinji is basically kind of just in this city as all this shit's going down, and this fourth angel, basically the first one we've seen so far, shows up. And then, uh, finally, Miss Misada, rarely like, in the nick of time, is this thing, it seems like it's about to straight-up crush the guy. And it's already, you know, blowing away all these airships and shit It's like, full-blown kaiju action in a nutshell. I mean, you either love it or you don't. And, uh, so he shows up in her car, like, at the last minute to pick him up. There's like, alright, hey, there you are, like, I remember when I first heard the English actors for the first time in that scene, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Misato...
0: Yeah, I, I, I do want to point out, when it comes to English voice actors, um, it's just always so... It can be so different from what
1: really Japanese do. Well, can, and I was just it comparing either, it... Like,
0: it goes three ways it can either one be just as good and localized yeah. to us so we can enjoy it just as much it correct be just trash where half the uh, voices sound the same and are very dull or three make it their complete own different from the japanese but it's still good and yeah I kind of like, like kaguya sama love is war does that i love it it's amazing the English dub is amazing. Um, okay. I I don't know for I feel like for Neon Genesis, at least these movies, at least the first movie, but in the second one, kind of. I uh, uh, I'm kind of comparing it to like the older '90s one. Yeah.
1: No, that's basically what I was doing. Was I was comparing it yeah. to the uh, and English like my dub. Head, I'm comparing
0: it, and it's just like.
1: I wasn't even comparing to the original 90s dub. I was comparing it to, like, just even, like, the Netflix dub because I wasn't sure if, like, the act some of the actors from this also provided their voice acting work to the Netflix version because I was trying to be like, is that really, like, similar enough to what I heard before for Misato and the series?
0: Yeah, I can't say I remember exactly, but... I, I yeah, feel like they I got have the Shinji one. I would rather listen to the
1: Japanese sub for Evangelion Yeah. Personally. Because like, sure. the Shinji one, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, no, they definitely got that, uh, you know, sad and kind of the, uh, you know, the pathetic stereotype in one voice. So I was like, no, man. Oof.
0: I I do have to admit, um, Shinji is far from my favorite character in the series. Yeah, dude, I can't stand Shinji. <laughs> That's fair. He
1: just... Like, he oh had, he, I know, I know. He... To be fair, he got, like, fucked over royally, if I'm That's being true. honest. That's true. Talk about some first-class, just shitty parenting, and then some Gendo Akari, go fuck yourself.
0: I mean, he's fine in the first movie. The second movie... Oh, Goes a little renegade, and it's kind of annoying. The third movie, I just...
1: Look, they could have just been straight with that, that kid a from the game. movie. <laughs> so here's my thing. Like, I originally thought maybe he was like a 15, 16-year-old. No, no, he's basically like a 14-year-old. Like, he's still in junior high, I believe. Uh, him and, essentially, Oscar, who we meet later. Oscar and I think is. also Ray. But, yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, a little key point of lore to make here by the way which is kind of important for the series as a whole so there's these series of uh impacts or yeah impacts uh the i believe it's guy third impact so, so there was the first impact which apparently happened like billions of years ago um, basically in a public's eye as far as they're concerned it was basically the meteor that destroyed the dinosaurs even that's not what happened at all yeah. Um, or essentially it's referred to as the giant impact and uh, what happened was I want to say it was a black moon it was this, this spherical object I believe in the original series there was a white moon which was the vessel that carried Adam and then there was the black moon which carried Lilith yeah, there's, um, there's a lot Adam them. was supposed to be the first angel Lilith the second angel and they were both referred to as beings known as seeds of life which were
0: there's a lot of Christian symbolism
1: in Evangelion. That too, yeah. Uh, Actually, I lot, guess they to be were... fair, a
0: lot of anime and a lot of manga, uh, mangaka, like to use Christian symbolism.
1: Right. But uh, Evangelion is a very obvious one. Oh, holy hell! Yeah. Well, so in the original lore, yeah, they were like these seeds of life, and they were sent out by what was believed to be. So, if any of you have seen Prometheus. Uh, I know it's not exactly the best example here, considering we're an anime podcast, but, you know, that kind of whole, oh, the engineers, they must be the ones who created the human race, so this is who they believe are responsible for the creation of the human race originally, is these guys who they just refer to as the first ancestral race in the original series. Anyway, basically, so Lilith... As far as I understand it, the first and second impact in the lore in this version of events, I believe, follow basically the exact same logic, give or take, uh, with a, just a few minor differences. So the first impact, billions of years ago, uh, a black moon hits the Earth, and basically is the reason that Lilith is on Earth, and because each being these seas of life originally in their sp- spherical vessels, the white moon, black moon... Adam Lilith. Uh, basically, they each came with their own Spear of Longinus. And another interesting fact of uh, religious lore here, I believe it was allegedly stated that the name of both the Spear of Longinus and the Spear of Ca- uh, Cassius were both uh, names themselves were part of One long name for a Roman general who was responsible for using his spear to physically wound and stab uh, Jesus Christ himself, allegedly. I believe. Oh, the Holy Spirit. Um, That's interesting. It's like Gaius Cassius Longinus, something, or like maybe in some version of a book where. The Roman general, something like that.
0: Um, yeah, I... I'm trying to remember. Okay, I, I googled it just to find it. Yeah. Uh, Longinus is the name given to the unnamed Roman soldier who pierced the size of Jesus with the lance. His full name is Cassius Longinus.
1: That's it, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> And uh also in the nerve logo for their organization they have it's like nerve and there's this leaf on the side and then they have the words saying, um was it like God is in his heaven, all's right with the world. And there's the Yeah. About that there's spear? This... Oh sorry. Hitler
0: World War Two. And then they sent General Patton on like a legit mission to retrieve that spear. It was crazy. Damn. (laughs) Like, it's like one of those, like, histories, mysteries, or whatever, but... Yeah, there's, like, documentation and everything, but it's insane. It's crazy that it's literally tying into anime now, like,
1: what the hell? I love it. (laughs) Well, yeah, so, the leaf in the Nerve logo, apparently, the leaf itself is actually a fig leaf, which... Was believed to be the types of leaves that were used to cover up both Adam and Eve's uh, genitalia. So there's another fun fact for you. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, the level of detail here is insane in so many different ways. I. Mm. So, anywho, we had the first impact. Explosion launched massive amounts of debris from Earth into orbit, uh, eventually coalescing into what is would be the uh, Earth's moon. And then also that also led to the leaving of that giant white being known as Lilith, essentially, as well as Lilith's Spear of Longinus, which is found and paled into its chest, which... As far as I understand it, I believe the spears are also capable of basically nullifying them. So the spears can be used to stop energy beings, essentially. The best thing I can think of to refer to them. Um, And yeah, so that happened, and then later on... Uh, we don't receive anything important in the timeline of Earth's history in this world until the second impact, which occurs in Antarctica, September 13, 2000. And this was referred to as the Katsuragi Expedition. So this was actually Misato Katsuragi's father. Uh, so he was a scientist who was enraptured in the idea of the S2 engine. It's like the sole solenoid Engine or something like that's like s to the power of two. It's, it represents like an exponent. But basically, what it would have done is, I had, based on the power source, it would have been able to allow the energy powering it to essentially. It would like I believe it's basically like recycling its own energy every time, so it never truly runs out of power. That's crazy. So it's got like a continually sustainable energy source, which would have been incredible. That would be incredible. But basically, what happened was so there was. Just, yeah. Well, so basically there was this, uh, they referred to, I believe as it was the contact experiment. And so what they were trying to do was use some type of human DNA and try and merge that with, uh, these pseudo beings that would eventually probably be responsible for the angels. Cause I believe in the old lore of the series, it was Adam was basically the progenitor, the originator of all angels and Lilith was the originator of all humanity, essentially. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, yeah. So, only well, instead, in this version of the lore, so, we see these large beings of light that just look like something almost have, like, a creepypasta, essentially. These, like, giant, gnarly-looking white beings with these, like, beady red eyes and these l- light, these, like, wings of light and these halos of light around their foreheads or are supposed to be their foreheads, their heads in general. And so these beings themselves of light are just basically referred to just simply as atoms plural, and I guess throughout the lore of all four of these movies there's said to be only like five of them. And in this instance, in the Antarctics, so I believe this is in the South Pole when the Katsuragi expedition's going down, and the contact experiment, and so they go, they have the human DNA, they interact it with these four atoms who show up during this event. And then basically what happens is there's this massive explosion, which ends up leading to the death of Dr. Katsuragi. And that's kind of that moment that we see where he ends up handing off his uh, uh, necklace to uh, Misato as she's being pushed by her father into this escape pod, essentially. And I believe she was the only one who actually survived that whole incident. And basically, the whole, that whole situation was orchestrated by the shadow organization Zella, which is represented by, I believe it's like there's an apple in the center, and then there's a snake with wings forming a circle like the Ouroboros, oh, and there's also the these, like, yep. And then okay. there's, I think it was like, what, the, uh, I believe it was the seven eyes on it, which is supposed to be a symbolism for, like, the seven-eyed lamb in Revelations or something like that. Okay. So, yeah, all these, you know, religious symbology and iconography and all that jazz. And so they're basically this evil shadow organization that's essentially behind most of the fucked up shit that happens in this series, if I'm being honest. Uh, so they were responsible for that of incident. So then there's the explosion, kills Misato's dad. She gets in the pod, whatever, boom, shoots out into the ocean And basically anyone who was there with him, Dr. Katsuragi, basically any living, breathing life forms at that moment were basically just obliterated from the explosion. And then not long after that, we eventually got the melting of the Antarctic ice caps, uh, which caused a rise in sea levels, as well as tsunamis, which basically ended up wiping out pretty much all life in Antarctica. That's what I was leading eventually later on to the pollution of most of the Earth's oceans and the deaths of uh, basically two billion people in the southern hemisphere. So basically at that point in time and this version of the continuity, half of all life on the planet. And so then this leads to all this geopolitical stuff and just right when Earth was prospering and people were ready to have no worries, guess what? Now you got worries and then some. Maybe have got people that are going to be fighting over resources and all that, which is basically what happened for all these different countries. So then they had to reunify things, and this is finally when the UN ends up gaining more power as an organization, the United Nations. Uh, and if I think about the United Nations, uh, guess who has a bunch of members within the world government in the United Nations as well as just other members of the world government? Zella! Mar- hey! Was- so a shadow organization that's been Doing things for basically about a millennium now and basically their whole shtick is that they are in possession of what is very vaguely and briefly referenced as the Dead Sea Scrolls which basically all I got from that was it's basically an extraterrestrial I guess like pieces of parchment or something or like of stone slabs or some kind of Basically, an extraterrestrial object acts as like a list of instructions or prophecies listing the order and time of release or the arrivals, essentially, of the angels. So it's basically like a roadmap that this shadow organization Zell is using in order to get closer to what is their ultimate goal, which is the human instrumentality project and seeing that come to fruition. So... Once again, the governing Earth's governments are over a millennium. They're adhering to the Sea Scrolls, planning all this stuff out as it goes down, responsible for the second impact, Um, which also caused the misalignment of Earth's orbit, by the way, led to the ending of Seasons, Death, half the Human Race. Uh, Yeah, yeah, so that was... Wow. Yeah,
0: that's a a large... um... Change because it's a whole 23 degrees of an angle. Yeah.
1: And so basically, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went from 0 to 100 real quick.
0: Yeah. Real quick.
1: And uh, <laughs> basically, uh, in the original lore, it was just there was one Adam. And so the first angel, he was in the Arctic. Or a version of him was there in the Arctic, and so all this funky stuff's going on over in the Antarctic, or the Arctic. Because I think in the original lore it was the North Pole instead of the South. Whatever. But basically, same thing happened. The Katsuragi expedition uh, introduced human DNA with this atom DNA, do some kind of sequencing, see what happens. And next thing you know, big explosion, similar result. Only there weren't the multiple atoms, beings of light, these energy beings. It was just the one.
0: Who would have thought this?
1: And it basically led to the creation of this thing known as an embryo of Adam. In the original series, but we end up getting, and instead, in this version, would later be known as the Key of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Only I don't believe it was created by the Katsuragi expedition. In this version, like the embryo was created in the other. So yeah, that's fun. Anyway, so Zella, they're basically, their only real source of control at the moment, kind of like as far as just like an actual base of operations that they have full control over, is the uh, Boga moon base, which is literally on the surface of the moon. And it's technically a nerve base, but it's controlled primarily by Zella and they kind of determine who comes and goes to that base, and that's sort of what you see later toward the end of this film with the whole all that shenanigans and stuff going on on the moon. Anywho. Uh, yeah. So, Shinji and Masato are heading toward Nerve HQ, which is located in Japan, and they're making their way basically toward what's basically going to be underneath Tokyo 3, It's the geo front, which is fascinating to see just the level of detail they put into that, the animation, everything top tier. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it really is good animation, and even just the fight scenes. I mean, that was just. mm.
0: I think the fight scenes were some of my favorite parts about these movies. I thought they were really well done.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I will admit, the scene that kind of got me was when, so they're still driving along, and at one point, they actually end up stopping in the road, and decide to get behind her car when she's like, oh, shit, are they about to drop an into mine? Yep. <laughs> and just the biggest explosion, I'm like, Jesus Christ. So... More details here. So N2, it's literally, once again, again, with the whole exponents and letters. So N to the power of 2 stands for non-nuclear. So it's basically the most powerful weapon that Nerve can deploy on the planet without any kind of, like, actual nuclear radiation or fallout to have to worry about when using this kind of a weapon. And it's basically, like, one giant thermobaric bomb built around basically all right we're gonna drop this and then it goes off once all this air pressure hits and it hits the object it's designed to hit and then kabooey and literally just one of the biggest explosions i've seen in a while <laughs> and they're like oh that had to have done it please tell no. me we killed it like nah you just made it angry <laughs> it straight up grows like another head and i'm like oh man And all because these angels happen to have these, like, force fields around them that are referred to as ATF fields or anti-terror fields. Which require, like, a certain level of energy and power to be able to even slightly, like, make a dent in. Which you have to do in order to destroy the angels, because once their AT field is gone, you can basically go to town on that red thing... In the middle of these creatures, it's basically their core, the Angel's core, and once that's destroyed, I buy Angel. And, uh, yeah, so, you basically, you and them hit the decks right as they drop an n mine, and just, I don't know how they survive that, because it's like, they straight so up, seriously. like, while they were still (laughs) in her car, and then the car ended up doing, like, multiple flippy flips. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) A bunch of flippy flips.
1: And and then they're still in one piece, because, you know, plot armor. We can't just kill them off right then and there. No, no. That's what
0: you
1: think. Apparently Uh, someone doesn't remember Jujutsu Kaisen killing off the main character in uh, the beginning. Episode 4, don't even get me started. Yeah. 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 Uh. And yeah, uh, they, basically the car has rolled over several times, so she's like, hey Shinji, can you help me push my car over one more time, <laughs> just so we can drive? <laughs> sure. And they hop in, and they're having all these talks, like, ah, you're quiet, aren't you? And it's like, yeah, no, he's probably quiet for a reason, he's literally had nothing but a bunch of, uh, what would you call it, Maid- not maidens, but like, what's a word for it, it's like, Essentially, like people who played the role of his caregivers, but without any like the actual emotional necessity, it was basically just they did what was expected of them to do in order to keep him alive and in one piece, and that was basically it. So he had all his caretakers that were under his father's employ, all because his he lost his mom, but his dad lost his wife, and he was like, all right, well, then I'm just gonna retreat into my work, I guess, and retreat from the world, and even retreat from my own fucking son, and he was basically just, that was his life from then on, at that point, and so then they hadn't seen each other since then, that was like, what, it's referred to as like three years since that incident, or whatever, I think and so now I think he's it like, three years. it's like 14 years old now, I guess, like, he's in uh, junior high, and yeah. so... Yeah, he, he and Misato finally make their way to uh, the Geo Front and the underground base of Nerve HQ in Japan and uh, the city of Tokyo 3. And, uh, yeah, he eventually meets his dad. Um, before that, they were having conversations about, like, oh, you must not really care for your dad. Oh, well, I didn't care for my dad either. He was always wrapped up in his research this whole trying to connect with him and Misato even though it doesn't really seem to be working at least not fully and uh yeah next thing you know he straight up walks into this chamber and sees this giant robot in front of him he's like what the hell is that (laughs) and so his dad who's just chilling in this window up top is like Hey, this is the Evangelion Unit 1, a test bottle. Uh, why don't you uh, pilot it for me, boy? Sure, father.
0: I don't think that's exactly how that went.
1: No, 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 not at, <laughs> at all. That's it was like, really? You brought me back just to use me? <laughs> Not only that, but have me have use a, big robot, pilot, like, a on, giant, man. big-ass robot that I have zero experience pilot. Like He straight up thought his old man was going to throw him to the walls while piling this damn thing while not even knowing how to operate it with like out any kind of a crew behind him telling him what all he should be doing It'd be cool, though. from the jump.
0: It'd
1: be cool. He's like, well, you're the only one who can. It's like something about him being the... Third child which I never understood that whole like all these people being a- pilots of these Evangelion units and why they're being referred to as like the first child the third child it's like I'm pretty yeah. sure like story wise there's really not that much actual like genuine relevance to those actual titles yeah I don't as far as I understand it being any... but yeah no uh, I think if I remember correctly he was like alright well I'm not gonna pilot it and so then he's like, all right, well then, if you're not going to, you fucking brat, send in Ray. And he straight up manipulates and coaxes his own son by sending in an injured girl in a yes. plug suit. Old, bruv. And she already looks like she's been beat half to shit. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So was this in between the malfunction with Unit Zero earlier that were showed to at one point in a flashback where straight up like... They're testing the first ever. It's literally just a prototype series Evangelion <laughs> unit. And, they're like, oh, hey, by the way, like, we activate it and immediately the damn thing's malfunctioning. <laughs> so why don't we cut the power while we're at it? And all the while, this thing is, like, slamming its head and shit into the walls and straight up almost about to punch a hole through the wall that like Gendo is behind, straight through the glass. <laughs> and they're like, all right, well, maybe we should release the pilot. The pilot being Ray, and fire out the uh, plug, and then they shoot her out, she hits the freaking ceiling, and she's flying into the ceiling, who knows how much pressure is behind these things at this point, and then she ends up slamming into the ground and shit, and finally she's out of there, and they manage to completely shut down Unit Zero, and then fill the place up with, it's like some kind of a red fluid, but it's not LCL, and then Gendo rushes in, he's like, oh my god, Ray! And he drops the locks on the plug and ends up burning his hands in the process, and I guess at some point he even, like, drops the glasses, and they drop into some of that red fluid that comes out of the entry plug. And it, like, almost doesn't quite melt necessarily, but I guess due to, like, some of the heat, it causes the glass and the lenses to crack. And he goes in there and is like, Ray, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not alive. <laughs> so my thing was, I couldn't tell if her injuries when he starts wheeling her out to manipulate Shinji, if that was from that, or if that was from something else.
0: That's a good question, I'm not
1: sure. Because I'm trying to remember, because I was like, did she have like a bloody like, section near where her... Right eye was supposed to be originally because I remember that being bandaged up and shit when they wheeled her out. Like, all right, we'll send Ray in. Yeah, um, I don't I, I remember. That was... I, I, I don't, it's hard to tell, but anyway, she's clearly not healed up from something.
0: Yeah.
1: And then she ends up dramatically falling. Oh, I know, she fell off the freaking table. I was like, oh, th- this feels so staged the worst way. And sure enough, he's like, "Damn it! All right, fine, Father. I'll pilot the I'll pilot Ava Unit One." <laughs> and he's like, "All right, good." Dude, the colors
0: were dope. I like the color scheme. Oh,
1: dude, the paint scheme on some of those mechs was absolutely gorgeous. Oh my God! Freaking Ava Unit Six, the one that uh, Kawaru pilots. Oh gorgeous. but yeah no Uh, so that happens he hops in the Navy Unit 1 and then they finally get him all ready and so Misato is trying to kind of help you know ease some of the tension he has about the idea of piloting the freaking thing and all the while uh, the friend Ritsuko Akagi who is kind of like the head of like the technical and science division science branch basically of NERV especially over at uh, NERV HQ so she's over here trying to kind of guide him through just the logistics of it all. So he gets in the entry plug, hops in, and immediately is basically like filled up into this whole chamber with what he believes is water, but it's just a liquid referred to as LCL. And he's told, oh, it's fine. You can actually like breathe it in. It'll basically oxygenate itself, and you'll be able to breathe this liquid in as it fills into your lungs. So that's kind of gnarly like some future tech liquid breathing. And basically, this amber-colored liquid that is LCL is basically meant to help amplify the mental connection, the psychological connection between the pilot and the Evangelion unit itself, which, unbeknownst to Shinji, the core of the Evangelion unit that is powering it up, the soul, if you will, of Unit 1, is actually the soul of his own dead mother, Yui Akari. So that's kinda fucked. Yeah. And uh, uh, a lot of
0: parts on the show are
1: uh Alright, Walking well, to be kissing the word. Yeah. You. And uh so yeah, he gets in, he breathes in the L C L he's like, Well this is weird, but alright. And uh kinda of tries to get it just a basic feel for the controls. They immediately launch him and the unit up through this elevator shaft, basically up <laughs> into the streets of Tokyo 3. And they're like, okay, Shinji, now, for starters, we just want you to get used to walking. Just try to walk. Basically, like, will yourself to move yourself in this damn thing and move forward. While it's nighttime now, and this angel's still roaming the city, and it's literally, like, right in front of you, which doesn't really help at all, in the middle of a freaking tutorial. Yeah, they're just
0: put him in the middle of
1: it's basically Dark Souls three. Like you know, you go up against that first boss, which is supposed to be the tutorial boss. Like, oh, this is the tutorial, but yeah, that's the tutorial boss, buddy.
0: <laughs> Good luck. I'm uh,
1: Yeah. So, is immediately thrust into the thick of it, and I think at one point, what he like tripped, essentially somehow, and fell.
0: <laughs> and, I think he. It- He started walking and just fell flat on his face.
1: Uh, He got got like the first couple steps and then he fell. Keep in mind at this point, the unit still has this cable attached to it, which only goes so far. And essentially these cables are what provide most of the power to most of these Evangelion units to begin with. And then once they are disconnected, they only have, I think it's like, five minutes of external power before the unit shuts down. And so, yeah, he does a couple steps forward and then he trips and falls... And then that just gives the angel enough time to essentially get a hold of him and his Evangelion unit, his mech. And he just literally uh, fucked up thing. So you know how I mentioned about that uh, psychological connection, the link between the pilot and the unit? Well, guess what? Any kind of physical harm, essentially, that is done to the unit, he experiences it. All of it. Huge! So... It proceeds to, first off, go for his left arm, the or I, should, I guess I should say the mech's left arm, and that basically proceeds to not yank it off, but basically, like, snap it and break it in place. And so he already feels like this thing just basically eviscerated his own left arm, and he's over here screaming in so much fucking pain and then some that a child that age should not be going through at all. And then on top of that, it then proceeds to just one of its hands, just, like, full-blown, like, palming a basketball, just, like, palms the head of the Evangelion unit and lifts it up. And then it proceeds to create this sort of, like, extended, like, pressure hammer of sorts, basically. And just is slamming into the head of this Evangelion unit over and over and over and over again. And then... It finally, I guess, just, like, slammed, like, a complete hole through the thing and ends up chucking the Evangelion unit into a skyscraper. And, uh, yeah, then we just see this, like, dramatic burst of what we think is blood. It's this, like, red liquid that doesn't look like it's the LCL. And then, of course, once again, Shinji over here basically has, like, straight up just full-blown, like, shut down. Is basically passed out from the level of pain he's felt at this point. And next thing you know, the, uh... The uh, Evangelion unit ends up going into Berserk mode the best after ever. his heightened negative emotional state, which led him to eventually black out from the pain, which causes the unit itself to basically like reanimate into yeah Berserk mode. And then it proceeds to essentially do what we were hoping to see him do the first time around. <laughs> and now we have the competent Evangelion unit. And it proceeds to run and sprint at this freaking angel, and then proceeds to grip the angel's force field, its AT field, anti-terror field, with its own two hands, goes into the dimensional space, and then just, like, rips it apart completely. And then once that's done, it then proceeds to basically just do, like, a running charge kick, like, full-blown Mike Guy dynamic, dynamic entry straight into this angel's core in the middle of its chest and then basically proceeds to start bashing it until it starts cracking to the point that it's almost completely destroyed and then that's when the angel decides to essentially wrap itself around the Evangelion unit and self-destruct and then even the self-destruction creates this like giant cross-shaped thing in the sky and uh, yeah basically they're like oh no did the unit survive with Shinji still in it No, no, it's still alive. It's walking around on the surface. Until it eventually ran out of power, I believe, and they were able to bring it back down to Nerve HQ.
0: Yeah, the Berserk mode is interesting. Because it's really just, like, a mind of its own.
1: Well, yeah, it's like a whole weird... So it's like, oh, this is the Angel or if it basically turned to like, just a straight-up primal
0: beast... Yeah, and then some it's like shinji's not even
1: impo- yeah so somehow he isn't even like psychologically damaged or because like the warnings that they give like most of the other pilots because of like the risk of like permanent like mental contamination and stuff like you'll never come back and which is interesting when we see some of the pilots from later on and what they're able to do in the latter movies with stuff similar to that but yeah uh the unit one berserk on its own defeats the angel and just kind of hobbles around and walks around the outskirts of the city for a while, while just the burning effigy of what was left behind from the fourth angel's self-destruction, just chilling in the background, all the flames and the smoke. Ooh. And uh, yeah, later on, he basically wakes up in a hospital and he's like, oh, I haven't seen this ceiling before or like he's not familiar with it. And not long after he wakes up from his slumber in the hospital bed, he's officially instated as the legitimate pilot of Evangelion Unit 1, as referred to as the third boy. And uh, it's not long after that that we then kind of see his school life. So at this point, he's basically been transferred to this new school that's close to Tokyo 3. And yeah, he ends up basically getting into a confrontation with um, Koji Suzuhara. Uh, one of the people whose sister was unfortunately injured in the battle between Evangelion Unit 1 and the fourth angel, the first angel that we're introduced to in the series. Uh, Luckily, she didn't die, though, Um, and she will come into play later on in the series as well. Luckily, she didn't die. Uh, um, Yes. And, um, yeah, he basically gets beaten up, and he's like, well, look, man, I didn't even exactly really choose to pilot the damn thing. I was kind of forced and coursed into doing it. It's not like I even enjoy doing it to begin with. And he was like, what the fuck did you say? And then proceeds to punch him a second time. (laughs) And uh Yeah. He's having a tough time at school essentially. Ah school. And uh yeah we find out that uh Misato basically ends up taking over the reins of being Shinji's guardian and being responsible for him and everything he does essentially in the future up to this point moving forward. Which, if I'm being honest, still a better role model than Gendo. Not gonna lie. Gendo Akari, of course, being the commander of Nerve. And his vice commander being... uh, What was his name? Fiyutsu... Ah, fucking hell. It was something fancy. Vice Commander Kozo Fuyutsuki. Ah, uh,
0: yeah. Kozo Fuyutsuki. Yes.
1: Who's the kind of the cynical. Even. I It's hard to tell who's more cynical. Either him or Gendo, if I'm being honest.
0: Uh, I think Gendo's not really. I wouldn't call Gendo cynical. Um. I
1: feel like Kozo is more cynical, whereas, yeah. I don't know if cynical would be
0: the right word for (laughs)
1: Gendo. So, also worth mentioning very briefly. So, the United Nations, so keep in mind uh, this shadow organization that Gendo and Fuyutsuki are both looking for with all of them trying to achieve the same goal which is that of human instrumentality which i believe in the original series the whole goal of human instrumentality was to merge the angels and humans together into like one being essentially where everybody's just like instead of everyone has a physical body they have this uh, shared consciousness and shared trains of thought and emotions that are all experienced together at once and that way, basically, there would be, like, no conflict, no war, nothing but peace, essentially. It's terrible. And I don't recall if that was the exact goal or purpose as to human instrumentality in this version of events. I don't think that's exactly what happened, as far as I understand it. But, um... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so, M- Misato ends up taking over custody of Shinji, officially. Uh, So she is the, let's see here, she is the operations director over at Nerve, uh, specifically Nerve HQ in Japan, um, Misato Katsuragi, and um, she ends up taking over custody, and so they end up getting an apartment together, and it ends up being a brand new apartment, and it seems like it's kind of in an area of the city where it seems like a lot of folks have kind of either started evacuating just in fear of another angel attack, or... It's in an area where there's just not a whole lot of people to begin with, in general. And so it seems like basically the entire apartment complex that they are in is empty. And so they end up getting just this one apartment there. And so it's new to her. It's new to Shinji. And so they both kind of move in. He's like, "Well, this is kind of awkward." <laughs> and she had only bought a couple of uh, errands, some groceries, and it was basically just like uh, like cans of beer, some like basically just like a lot of cheap, kind of unhealthy food, but food to sustain you, I guess. And so Shinji essentially had to learn how to cook <laughs> for the both of them, and uh, finds it kind of awkward to be living with her. Um, finds out there's a penguin <laughs> that boy lives with them also, which ends up scaring the shit out of him on the low. <laughs> and all the while he appears to be like naked in front of her, and it's like, oh boy. He proceeds to go to the bathroom and looks out, and it's like, oh, there's all of her underwear. Fun. And I guess I looked, it looks like in most of these series, the movie series and the original series, I believe Masato referred to, I think they said she was supposed to be like 29 in the series. So, yeah. It's kind of weird because it's like, it seems like she's trying to... Be inviting and warm and intimate, but not like romantically intimate. Depends which movie. But you could argue it kind of comes off that way because, yeah. She's.
0: I think she's 29 in the beginning. Before the time skip, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the first movie, she'll be 29.
1: And I believe the first two movies all take place within the year of uh, 2015.
0: Does it do the other
1: ones? Yes. The first two, yes, and then the third one is when we have the time skip. Yeah,
0: I thought the third
1: one was a and then...
0: it's long time skip.
1: Oh, yeah, 14 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
0: she's 43 in the third movie.
1: Yeah, not... yeah sure doesn't look it. And he's, I guess, 28, that... Although, for some reason, he hasn't aged. Yeah, he doesn't look like... Belt like a 12-year-old. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, they <laughs> refer to it as the Curse of the Ava. Yeah. Which also, I, I never understood why exactly they needed children to pilot these freaking war machines. But, hey. I guess. Make sure... So yeah, huh. I mm-hmm. guess they figured, what, child soldiers are cheaper, or something, uh, which I... Eh, I don't know, player considering, player the that that, considering the fact that that mech is like worth more than a lot of people <laughs> to begin with. More than we'll make in a lifetime. Yeah, I know. So, the United Nations, um... the shadow organization Zella so they've got members within the UN as well as just members of the world government in general and they have all this wealth and resources and they were originally obsessed with religious iconography and artifacts and that's how they came into possession of those the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that jazz. Anyway they're basically as far as I understand it they were like low-key in charge of the United Nations without giving people in the general public the idea that they were in control of the United Nations and I guess through the UN, there's several, NERV is one of the organizations that is governed by them, but there's also another kind of more mysterious organization known as, I believe it's IPEA, I-P-E-A, which stands for International Project Evangelion Agency, and they're involved, it seems like at least with some of the preparations of some of the Evangelion units, or if not the units themselves, and some of the parts for the Evangelion units, And they seem to be independent from Nerve, and so there is like a suggestion or a possible theory that they could even potentially like activate certain Evangelion units. Mm. Um, But they're basically the ones that are responsible for making sure that certain Evangelion units are housed and stored away because of the uh, Vatican Treaty, which basically states that no country can have more than three active Evangelion units at any one time. And I believe the reason for that in this version of events in this series was because the shadow organization Zella was afraid that if there ever were any four active Evangelion units in any one country at any given time, that that would then basically lead to the creation of the four atoms from the second impact, and then you'd literally just have a rehash of the second impact. And that's not what Mm. they were looking for. Which is actually smart planning on their part, not gonna lie. But yeah, Nerve. They are actually. I believe they are technically under the. yeah. So yeah, they're a private organization. They are under the direct supervision of the UN Is that's supposed to be their whole shtick. And basically their goal in the eyes of the public is basically for them, for everyone to believe is that they were originally created to combat the angels after the second impact and to prevent the initiation of the third impact Even though their actual goal is to carry out the Human Instrumentality Project, which, basically, relies on the activation of a third impact. True. And, uh, yeah, the, the organization that's essentially known for being responsible for the creation of most of the Evangelion units in the series, as well as just in the lore, They employ several thousand people scientists, technicians, paramilitary security forces, as well as various support personnel. Um, Once again, we already mentioned the leaders. Um, Technical division led by Ritzko, science branch responsible for research and development of evangelians as well as maintenance of evangelians. And they also carry out scientific analyses about the angels Mm. and. The comings and goings to see any weaknesses in their uh, attacks, their physical bodies, to help further the Evangelion's cause to stop the angel threat. And then they have the intelligence security department, which is all about, well, basically counterintelligence as well as actual intelligence-based activities. They also have special agents that are tasked with investigating various security breaches or possible security breaches on top of tracking Evangelion pilots, where, where they are at all times. And they even have, once again, a... Uh, well, actually, first time mentioning this one, uh, the Public Relations Department, which manages propaganda and media censorship to control the amount of information about the Evangelians and the Angels that sh- the general public would receive. So, once again... Uh, I believe in the first movie, they mentioned how that first angel we encounter, the fourth angel, between Shinji's Unit 1 and it, when it ends up self-destructing, and he essentially defeats it. They're like, oh yeah, I know, there were no human casualties whatsoever, nobody got hurt during that whole thing. When clearly Toji Suzuhara's sister, Sakura Suzuhara, was mentioned to have been injured in that incident, that fight. And so that's basically what the public relations are there for. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. That was a good description of all that. Good job. On the head, it's in the notes. That's true. Yeah. He has a lot of notes. Um, Also, a little brief mention. So, Nerve HQ in Japan, Tokyo (laughs) 3, Underground, that is where they house the original Magi supercomputer, which also helps to analyze most of the data they collect from all these fights and stuff, and just in general sharing information back and forth. And the supercomputer, I believe, in the original lore, was created by Ritsuko Akagi's mother, who I believe was thought to have had like some kind of like a weird obsession with Gindo. And I guess later on, Ritzko somehow carried that obsession over. And it was like a whole plot, essentially. And basically, she stylized the entire brain system of this supercomputer around Ritzko's mother's brain and her way of thinking and how she would think, which is insane. So it's designed all around this human woman's brain, and that's how this computer system works her mother's brain essentially yeah. uh which once again it didn't seem like they ever really mentioned it that much like they very vaguely mentioned throughout these movies magi at all so it seems like they kind of tend to scrap most of that but was kind of left to interpretation for the original fans like oh yeah well, eh, maybe she at least helped with the creation of it still before she like passed away or something so yeah, no. Uh, the original Magi supercomputer. I believe there are a couple of other bases stationed a- around the globe that also are Nerve facilities that have Magi supercomputers in them. But just they don't have the exact strength of the original Magi supercomputer. But uh, yeah, they've got all this fun stuff to use in case shit hits the fan. Um, it yeah, does hit the fan. It does. So, anywho, uh, yeah, Shinji's all moved in, he's taken a bath, he's embarrassed himself by appearing nude in front of Ritsko, or sorry, not Ritsuko, uh Misato, and then goes back in, and tries to get used to living there, and they always show these scenes, it seems like every couple of fights, he'll go back to the apartment, and he'll just kind of lay in his bed, and he'll just listen to his track recorder, essentially, which actually belonged to his dad. And he'll just listen to that stuff until he, like, falls asleep or something. And he's just so depressed and shit. And then the fifth angel attacks Tokyo 3. And he's once again forced to pilot the uh, Evangelion unit. And he gets in. And he prepares to fight it. And then ends up, like, impaling him with those weird, like, personal-looking energy spikes. And so now he's in pain once again, and he ends up getting thrust into a mountainside. And he sees his two classmates who <laughs> immediately makes him go, well, now, fuck, I can't do anything because they're in the fucking way. And they're like, well, why isn't he doing anything? It's probably because we're, you know, in the fucking way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so all the while he's trying to stop this angel's assault. While well, it's also being the shit out of them physically. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the ladder repels down from uh, Shinji's entry plug, and you even hear, I, I think it was like Misato or somebody, yell to them, hey, dumbasses, get in the entry plug now. <laughs> and So they climb up and into it, and they're like, hey, what's all this water stuff? And then they immediately just like inhale it, and they're like, oh, I guess we're fine. And so now they have a first-class seat in the cockpit to see what goes on with one of these Evangelion pilots and their attempts to fight off an angel. So he fights it. Uh, It seems like he's about to lose or that the unit's about to run out of power. And so Misato gives Shinji a direct order and is like, yo, why don't you retreat and come back to base, homie? He's like, nah. Nah, fam. So he whips out the... uh, Biggest knife I've ever seen, if I'm being honest. And then proceeds to charge at the angel directly, and then ends up basically just slamming this knife full sail into its core, this angel's core. all the while he's just screaming like... "Ah!" He has so much PTSD and trauma. He's trying to please all these people. He's trying to get recognition from his father, like Sasuke in the That's My Boy shtick from the original Naruto series all this stuff going on at once and he's just losing his shit here and he's like, I'm in so much physical pain, I just want to end, make it stop, make it stop. And then, finally, the angel, essentially, is destroyed and there's all this like, red, basically it looks like blood that basically just like, starts pouring down right as the Evangelion unit runs out of power, unit one. And now, they're just sitting there, basically, just like, Shinji crying in the cockpit and his two buddies just kind of in there with him awkwardly just kind of looking like, what do we do? (laughs) And I'm assuming they basically just waited until they were extracted from Nerve team members that came by to help them out. And all because they had to leave their uh, shelter zones to see what was happening up top on the surface. And uh Yeah Because of Shinji disappointing or disobeying Misato's orders, he realizes he's gonna be in some deep shit when he goes back to the apartment and he's like, You know what, instead of dealing with all that crap and all the shit that she's gonna give me even though I basically did my job and killed the angel Nah, instead I'm just going to kind of go ahead and avoid her for a while. And so then he kind of like chills Smooth in like a cardboard is. box and goes like full-blown hobo. Bro, I was like, what is he doing? He's avoiding her, <laughs> don't you know? <laughs> and Listen, yeah. he's a
0: 14-year-old boy, okay? He's yeah, he's
1: just... a 14-year-old boy. He's been bitched at this entire time. Like, he's... homie was just trying to make some people happy and save some lives, you know, along the way. And all of this expectations oh, being put on his fucking shoulders, like Jesus Christ. Kids. Yeah. And then I think he finally, at some point, as he was on his little journey, he uh, made it to this bridge that's I thought was destroyed originally. I guess it was just a bridge that was still under construction. And that's when he basically all of a sudden turns around and realizes that the agents from Nerve, I believe they were members of the uh, the Intelligence and Security Department, they're the ones that track the Evangelion pilots, and he, so he turns around he's like, alright I'm ready to be brought back now <laughs> and then finally uh, I want to say she like scolded him or something and was like, listen it's one thing if you don't like an order when it's given to you, but to disobey my orders and she's like, you want me to pilot the unit? That's fine. I'll do that. And like, he even does these training modules where he's like, it's literally just a simulation of him in the unit one with like an assault rifle. It's like, all right, now just aim for the center and pull the trigger. Like, aim for the center and pull the trigger. Like, maybe it's just somebody who's good at following orders and that's how they get through life. It's like, yeah, that's most of us a good chunk of the time.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh yeah. <laughs> it's just one sad depressing thing after another. And uh, then I guess at some the, point a lot he of ends of up going of back all of these movies to...
0: are one sad depressing thing after you,
1: another. You know, it really is. <laughs> so he goes back to school and then Toji ends up forgiving him, but he's like, Alright, in order to make us even and to become friends out of this, you have to hit me back. So, he punches him once, and he's like, alright, well, you gotta, you gotta do it twice, because I hit you twice. He's like, alright. Hits him a second time, and then finally some good things seem to finally be going Shinji's way here. He's finally making human connections, because it seemed like that didn't, that wasn't the thing that was happening with him before then, up until this point. It seemed like he didn't really have any friends. He probably just, you know, did his homework at school, and that was that. He'd never really had any pals. And, uh, Yeah. After their experience in entry plug, they all become friends. (laughs) And then following that, he um, decides to finally start interacting with and socializing with uh, Ray, who Gendo kind of, once again, manipulating his machinations, tries to kind of lightly nudge the two toward one another. And, uh, yeah, ends up basically, uh, I believe he had to, like, deliver her ID card. It was her new ID card, yeah. which apparently had not been given to her yet. And so goes like, well, why don't you just have Shinji give this to her, by the way? And so it seemed like at that moment, Ritsko was kind of in on the. Manipulations of Gendo and his plan to kind of push these two towards each other for some reason. And uh yeah, he's like, Oh yeah, Ayanami, I remember her. It's like, yeah, she's that one classmate of mine who just stares out the window most of the time. Same. Which felt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a clone of if I was a clone of this random boy's mom, I'd probably feel that way too. It's like, oh, Shinji, if it's a boy, Ray, if it's a girl. So, oh, great. Basically, this is the closest Shinji's probably ever going to low-key have to assist her. And she also has to be in a semi-constant exposure to LCL. Like, she can only be out of her tank, essentially, for a set amount of time. And then she has her own apartment with her own bed and her own clothes and stuff, and clearly her own kitchen with food and what have you and there's all that medication on the table which i wasn't able to read any of that or understand what all that was for i just assumed it was because since she was a clone she was a part of this series although i think she was technically the first because i don't think any of the other rays had died up to this point like she was the only clone that had been alive up to this point as part of that project Yeah, they interact. He gives her her ID card. Um, I'm
0: trying to remember how this first one ends.
1: It was the uh, positron cannon.
0: Oh, that's right, that's
1: right. Yeah. Okay. So, he ends up uh, delivering the card to her, and this has got to be like one of the most awkward interactions I have ever seen. Like, I was...
0: You need to watch more Slice of
1: life. the entire time, like, sweet Jesus.
0: You need to watch more Slice of Life.
1: Because it's like <laughs> these two are both supposed to be, like, what, 13, 14, number one? Something
0: like that, yeah, 14.
1: And so this is probably, like, the closest he's ever had to, like, a semi, not even really sexual, but, you know, a potentially stimulating experience in that way.
0: Interesting way to put that.
1: And try not to make it seem any worse <laughs> but he, he literally turns around because he literally like opened her door and was like oh shit her door is like straight up open or not open but it's like it's not even locked and so he like goes to turn it and then pushes it open sees her stacks of mail that she clearly is not paying any attention to and that she is left unattended and he's like oh well maybe she's not here and so he's like, all right, well, maybe I'll just go and leave the card on her desk. And then he literally goes to turn around, and there she is, basically, stark naked. I'm assuming she just came out of the shower or something. Because I think she had, like, slippers on or something. She goes, like, walking over towards him. Typical. And then he was like, oh, let me just, so you try to just, like, maneuver around her. then, oh, sweet Jesus, like, somehow there's a loose closet drawer... With, like, all of her underwear. And so that thing goes. <laughs> and then he goes falling on top of her. And basically, like, ends up accidentally grabbing some boob along the way. And it's like, oh my god, I am so sorry. And he, like, jumps up, like, that was awkward. <laughs> and all along, she's just staring completely unfazed, these, like, dark crimson ruby eyes, just, like. Piercing. Unflinching. Unwaving. And I I can't remember what she said. It was like, uh, could you get up? Or like, what is it? Or something like that along those lines. And he didn't give her an answer at all. By the time he tried to, she was basically like straight up, gets up, is already like putting on the underwear, gets into her school uniform, is out the door. (laughs) Before he can even get a couple of words out. And so then he ends up running on after her and following her lead going back to uh, Nerve HQ and essentially kind of like follows her but stays like a couple of feet behind her because he doesn't want to be too I don't know creepy or aggressive or something and I finally get to the point where she's supposed to swipe her card and her current card's not working and so it's like you know like I was there like I literally just said they didn't give you your new badge so here you go And she basically just straight up, like, takes it. And then, I think at one point, they finally both go down the escalator. And she asked him what he thought of his father. And he was like, well, if I'm being honest, my father's kind of a piece of shit or something. And then she smacks him dramatically. I mean, yeah. And it's like... So then she immediately just kind of, like, smacks him across the face. And I'm like, hey, hey, hey now. (laughs)
0: That's not how you deal with childhood trauma.
1: Like, I understand you're kind of his favorite because there's that brief moment where he had seen her while he was in his Evangelion unit and she was in her, uh, or was that actually before the positron? It was like the scene where he's in unit one and he's looking through the cockpit before they've even really set out to depart and they're still in Nerve HQ and he's looking across the bridge and there's Ray and she's talking to Gindo and she's kind of like smiling and shit. She's in her plug suit. And Gendo is also essentially smiling while talking to her. He's like, well, what the hell is going on over there? What's up with that? <laughs> and then, at this point, I believe this is right around the time that the uh, sixth angel actually appears, which is the—it's like the pyramid, the triangular-looking one. Uh, and it shows up, and literally right as they are about to send uh, Shinji up... The surface world to, yeah, Earth side again instead of underground. And the second he gets up there is right as this angel is charging up its beam attack, and straight up just as soon as he gets up there sends the attack flying right at him as Evangelion. So you know, now he's got this intense burning sensation in his chest. That is not going away, by the way. Like, this beam is continually freaking hitting him. Who knows how high the temperatures even are, but he basically feels like he's being cooked alive and then some. Is screaming he's in so much pain. Like, make it stop, make it stop, get me out, get me out, I can't take it anymore. And then finally they shoot up one of these, uh, like, metallic shields to block the beam at the nick of time. Even then, it's only for a moment. And by that point, it gives them just enough time to bring Unit 1 back down to Nerve HQ, where they can try and fix the damaged parts of Unit 1 while also sending Shinji to the hospital to be checked out for his injuries. And all the while, this sixth angel... Proceeding to drill down into the geofront below, going through all the different layers of, uh, of, like, I can't remember if they said it was, like, steel or titanium, maybe. That's, like, reinforced steel, I think. They have, like, all those different layers for their underground base, and, like, once it pierces through, it's like, oh, well, how much time do we have? Honestly, not a whole lot. <laughs>
0: not really. I think it's, like, 12, was it, like, 12 hours, something like that?
1: Yeah, it's like, well, once it's, it'll be 12 hours before it's through the final layer. And so it's like, you're telling me my boy Shinji has to heal like Superman <laughs> in order to... Well, Jesus Christ, the level of timing in this thing and just plot armor, holy hell. But yeah, so eventually Shinji recovers, and uh, I believe Ray had visited him in the hospital all the while during this whole thing. And she was like, I think she visit visits him once, and then she eventually visits him later on. And then he ends up actually recovering from his injuries. And then Misato ends up taking him down to Central Dogma instead of Terminal Dogma in the original series. And this is where she ends up showing him the second angel, Lilith, and the giant, white, what I thought was a corpse, but apparently is still very much alive, just subdued. It's like huge cross with this spear of Longinus in its chest preventing it from doing anything. And telling him that basically if an angel were to unite with Lilith as she is in that basement level area or pseudo basement level area of uh, Nerve HQ that it would essentially cause the third impact. The continuation of the second impact and the cause of the third impact. So this is enough to eventually encourage him to pilot Unit 1 again, and after all this time of him just kind of sitting there going, you tell me to fight, I fight. And then her being like, all right, well, I've had enough of your shit. (laughs) Follow me. (laughs) Instead of just outright slapping him. So that ends up being enough to encourage Shinji to pilot Unit 1 again. He's like, you know what? We're all fighting for something. Okay. All right. All it took was a little gentle touch and some encouragement, you just know? A bit so, of so just just a, little a little bit of understanding and some level of scope this? as to what's going on. Honestly, yeah. So then they developed a plan to, develop, uh, to that they developed to defeat the Sixth Angel by using all of the electrical power of Japan to power an experimental positron rifle. Which I believe they got from, if not, the UN directly than I believe it was the Japanese Strategic Self-Defense Force. And, yeah. Unit 1 is going to basically use it as a sort of makeshift sniper rifle to kill the 6th Angel while Ray in Unit 0 is going to be supporting him by blocking the 6th Angel's attack. So... At this point, they start getting all the ingredients together, they start loading everything up, and I think this is also not long after the whole, before he recovered fully, when Ray was like, look, this is the game plan, this is what's going down, there's this positron rifle, we're expected to be back in our AVA units by this time, and this time, and this is when it's all going down, and that's that. And before he recovered and had the whole thing with Misato and all that, he was like, eh, I'm probably not going to pilot it again. She's like, all right, well, if you're not going to pilot yours, I'm just going to pilot mine, and that's that. I'll pilot the Ava. And so now he's already kind of been guilt-tripped by Rey, and then Misato's was basically just icing on top of the cake, essentially. But yeah, so they're going to use this experimental Positron cannon using all the power of Japan to destroy this sixth angel while Ray supports him from its fire, its beam attack. And, uh, yeah, they get a whole position set up. They let everybody know, hey, by the way, um, we're going to be basically shutting down all of the power starting around, I think it's like, what, 12 o'clock, they said? Like, right around midnight? Um, and they're like, yeah, yeah so y'all so. are going to be out of power at that point, and who knows for how long until then. And basically just gave them kind of like a pseudo- our curfew, if you will, and uh, yeah, they get all set up and into position. Get the positron ready. They get all the power going on. It looks absolutely insane—the scope, size, and scale of it all. But they, it just, the animation looks incredible throughout this entire thing. I would say this is easily like my favorite. I would say, this is probably my favorite scene in the entire, just the series, the films, just in general, is. Shinji and Ray teaming up together to fight the sixth angel. Oh. Anywho, so they finally get all set up. Ray and her Ava Unit One or Unit Zero mech has this like big ass shield. Not exactly sure what material it's made out of, but it seemed like it had at least like two or three layers attached to it. So she's there to defend him in case anything goes wrong. So now he's kind of his mind's at ease because of that as well. So he lines up the shot, and he's basically told, all right, you're going to be basically, because of the power of this positron cannon makeshift sniper rifle, you are essentially only going to have a set number of shots, number one. Number two, you can't move at all. You are basically doing this from a completely fixed position. So he goes prone with this rifle in his AVA unit, and thought, so, all right, basically you're going to be relying completely on the aim assist from this point forward. You're going to have to aim and get this shot damn near perfect. So he waits until the shot lines up, and then right when it finally lines up, he pulls the trigger and lets off his first shot. Looks Visually looks absolutely incredible. And then shot fires. It seems like it hits the angel, and then it does like, this whole thing where it shrivels up and screams. And it's like, oh, by the way, J.K., First shot missed. So then he has to slowly crawl his way back over to his positron rifle because at this point now the angel has had time to return fire. It has already launched I think like at least what like two or three shots in their direction, and by this point it had already fired a couple of beams, destroying all of the like anti-aircraft missile launchers that the Japanese Strategic Defense Force had left over in that area to kind of try and distract the Angel. So those had all been destroyed. Now we've got, like, all these cliff sides that are on fire now. (laughs) Or these hillsides, these, like, mountainsides, what have you, that are on fire. And, of course, now their own mountainside is on fire uh, from the first beam that hit, because Ray wasn't there to stop it yet. And then, finally... (laughs) their charred AVA units start working their way over to their positions again. Shinji finally gets back in a prone position is able to crawl back over to his sniper rifle. Gets on the Positron Cannon and gets ready for a second shot which has to hit or they're screwed. And uh, yeah, he waits until the shot lines up in his uh, sights and once it does he pulls the trigger and fires all the while, the Angel's already fired a beam directly at him and Rey. Rey finally lines up her shield and blocks the shot, taking on this beam of intense heat and pure energy all the while, and it basically almost eviscerates her shield completely. It like strips away the two layers of it to the point that it's basically just bare bones and then some at that. All the while, being completely reliant on Shinji's last shot here, last attempt to kill this thing. And he just manages to get it, like, right under the radar. The second shot fires as it locks on. Hits the angel dead center. It it expands out once again and shrieks or screams, wails. And then, completely, it, it dies, it shrivels up, and then it turns into this, like, red liquid substance.
0: Hmm.
1: And, yeah. They've defeated at this point now the first... Technically, not the first, but the first three angels that we've seen so far. And uh, then we are briefly given a sort of... I'm not sure I'd call it a post credit scene, because I think it was actually before all the end credit stuff. But the final scene, it kind of cuts over to the moon, over to um, the Taboga base on the moon. Uh, the ones controlled by Zella, technically, even though it's a Nerve base, 7th Division. Uh, cuts over to the moon there, where all that's going on, and we see a line of coffins, and I think there was like nine of them in total, I believe, and like maybe like four, three or four had already been opened up, and so we see one of the coffin lids open up, and there's this giant blood stain that kind of seems to intersect with the landscape along the, these middle row of coffins, and out of one of them rises a uh, Kawaru Nagasai who begins talking to one of the Zella monoliths. And that's when we see the secret Zella moon base officially for the first time. And it's, there's this white giant, which looks kind of like Lilith. And at first I thought maybe this is their version of Adam, but apparently that wasn't the case at all. And it had like a mask in front of its face. Only this one looked like the Zella logo that we're used to seeing throughout these movies. And basically, that ends up just being what is going to be the inside skeletal structure for uh, Zella's own EVA unit, Evangelion Unit 6, which Kawaru ends up piloting later on. And then Kawaru simply says that the third child apparently is born again or hasn't changed, essentially, and that he can't wait to meet Shinji. And then that's basically the end of the first film.
0: Yeah, sure is. Uh, Oof. Yeah. That was um, about an hour and a half. How many pages of notes did you
1: get there? Uh, At least, I think, about almost three.
0: So are the other movies not as long for you?
1: Uh, well, the fourth one's pretty cut and dry once you figure out the gist of what's going on. I believe um, I figure that one didn't actually require as many notes since there's a lot more explanation being done there. Yeah. I think the main ones. It was uh, the second one and the third one that I was not completely entirely sure on and that I figured out it was better if I still took notes regardless, just for backstory sake, and if anyone's lost, that way it's there's a little easier to navigate.
0: Yeah. Um. So we are gonna have to stop here as we've reached an hour and a half into this podcast. Woo! <laughs> yeah.
1: Sorry about that, folks. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm managing.
0: That's the first Evangelion movie. Um, three more to go. <laughs> three more to go. So what I think we're going to do, since it'll probably problems probably be three episodes long. Uh, next week I want to do a um. News episode, yeah, and then we can pick up the Evangelion after that.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, okay.
0: so yeah. Next week we'll do uh, anime news, and then after that we'll pick up with Evangel- Neon Genesis Evangelion 2.0. You can not advance. In parentheses, not. So this yeah. has been anime news and reviews. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. See you later.